Network, a podcast designed for women working in financial services and financial technology. I'm Cheryl Brown, Chief Engagement Officer at Females and Finance. I'm also an international speaker on social and digital marketing, too. On The F Word, you'll meet leaders in the community, as well as learn more about recruiting, training, advancing, and retaining quality female talent. Let's take a listen to today's episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. Today, we welcome Robin Pollock of Trellis Consulting. A business strategist with an expertise in diversity and inclusion, Robin increases financial return by teaching organizations to leverage their DNI initiatives more effectively. Through the development of customized and integrated diversity and inclusion solutions, she maximizes attraction and retention of talent and clients, prevents diversity crisis, and creates competitive advantage. Robin brings years of experience working with businesses as a restructuring attorney and believes that business goals, objectives, and strategies can be best achieved in an inclusive culture. She has lectured extensively on issues of diversity inclusion, best practices, communication, team collaboration, networking, negotiation, and effective leadership, and created the Turnaround Management Association's Global Network of Women Committee. Welcome to the show, Robin. Thanks, Cheryl. I'm really excited to be here. I like to share with the listeners how I get to meet cool people like yourself. And today I have to give a big shout out to Cheryl Nash of Pfizer, who really thinks so highly of your work and suggested that we know each other. Many of us in the females and finance space have a lot of respect for Cheryl's work. And so if she knows you, then I wanted to know you. So I reached out on LinkedIn and you were gracious enough to take time to talk with me. And you actually do a lot of work in the females and finance uh, initiatives today. So I really feel blessed. Thank you for that. No, thank you. And, and I am thrilled that Cheryl um, uh, introduced us as well. It's been a great uh, relationship with her. And certainly you and I have enjoyed a great uh, working relationship and, and quite frankly, a friendship. So it's been, it's been wonderful. I agree. So diversity, equity, and inclusion. These yes. are the terms we hear more often today, but that doesn't really mean that we're doing anything about it. As someone who leads a community of women in financial services and financial technology, I work tirelessly to have in-depth discussions um, on these areas, but tell me why we're seeing this today more, because I really think it has absolutely nothing to do with the Me Too movement, but us all and who we are. So what are your thoughts around that? Um, you know, I do think that um, it's, it's beginning to be a bit of a cultural shift, I think, with everything going on in the world today. And, and Yes, it's an us all, not a Me Too, but I do think Me Too has had an impact in that it has brought, um, you know, gender issues and harassment issues and those kinds of things to, to the forefront. So I, I think, you know, we have been talking about DEI for many, many, many years, and we're still talking. And, you know, it gets to the point where, you know, the rubbers hit the road. So I think the culture is shifting a little bit. I think there are different demands um, on the marketplace that are making it more of a conversation. Um, certainly the generational shifts are huge. I mean, you've got um, you know, millennials and Gen Z now in the workplace, and they are having an impact on what is expected 
um, you know, of the of the business world. They have a different expectation, and organizations that aren't able to meet those expectations. And I don't mean you know ping pong tables and snacks. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about the kind of environment and the kind of culture that they want to uh, to work in. And and they come with an expectation of equal access. They come with an expectation of being able to rise, you know, through the pipeline. They come with an expectation of, of a, um, organizations that value diversity and inclusion. So it's forcing companies to really look at themselves because it becomes uh, an attraction and retention issue. Um, you know, you've also got pressure from clients. You've got pressure from communities. You've got pressure from investors. You know, investors now um, are pushing um, companies to have diversity on their boards and in their C-suites because they know that it creates better performing companies. So, you know, and, and clients now internally are, are dealing with their own diversity um, issues. So they're looking for service providers and companies that they partner with to also be mirroring them when it comes to diversity. So there's a lot of external pressure, I think, that's causing us to have um, the, the conversation and, and, and movements like Me Too are allowing those conversations to happen more openly. Yeah, and I don't know, recently Gary Vaynerchuk had a video that he put out, you talked about the ping pong tables and snacks. And he said, you know what, what keeps people today at companies has absolutely no, nothing to, anything to do with the ping pong tables or the, or the, you know, the chatskis of the things around the office, but much more around having a higher emotional intelligence, which is culture. You know, looking deep, deeply into the culture of companies because you're right. The younger generations today, they come into an organization and they sniff it out and feel like this doesn't, this isn't inclusive of everyone. It doesn't, these aren't inclusive or this doesn't look like my friendship that I have now that are very diverse. And then they leave and then they, and then the millennials, the poor millennials get smacked with, oh, they just flight and go from job to job. No, they don't. Right. I don't think it's that at all. I think that they come in and they sniff out where they're not welcome or wanted and they move on a lot of times. And that affects our attrition and retention rates, as you mentioned. No, no, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, I've spoken to so many millennials and it's not, they're not job hopping necessarily. They're looking for environments where they feel that they can make a difference, yeah. where they feel that they can be authentic. You know, that's a huge issue, you know, in, in culture where people that are diverse don't feel that they can come to the office as themselves, that they have to, you know, be somebody else in order to fit in. And, and millennials, you know, are just not going to stand for that. They basically say, I'm going to go somewhere, um, you know, where I can be who I am. So, yeah, and those ping pong tables and those things, those are perks. That's yeah. not about culture. Um, so very different analysis, really. Very much so. Diversity is... Uh, kind of, I always tell people it's a chunky word. It includes a lot of areas that are far surpassed things such as gender and skin color. I, you know, it's something that, you know, when you really get down into who someone is past all of that, can you expound more on what diversity means, what it looks like for organizations and individuals today? Yeah, I mean, diversity really encompasses a lot of, um, you know, characteristics. Yes, of course, it's gender. Of course, it's race ethnicity, those are the things we think about, but certainly age, um, uh, neurodiversity is a, is a huge component, um, veterans, LGBTQ, so it's a really wide range. And, you know, the, the import of all of that is really about diversity of thought, 
you know, how does, um, you know, who you are and your experiences and your perspectives and your viewpoints, how does that inform, you know, what you're bringing into the workplace? Because everybody has a different experience coming from, you know, growing up and your culture and, and your, you know, overlay of society and everything that makes you who you are. And that's really what drives innovation and success. So it's almost like the diversity of people creates different experiences, which leads to, you know, diversity of thought and diversity of experience. So yeah, I mean, I think that people focus on gender um, and race because it's something that's so visible. Um, it's something that's so easy for, for people to see. And certainly when it comes to, to gender, um, you know, if you're looking at it from a male, female, which we can't just look at it that, you know, uh, uh, diametrically anymore, but, you know, making that assumption, um, you know, that's half, half the population is, is one or the other, arguably, um, you know, of course, taking into account that we have, you know, transgender people. But um, so it's easy to see um, they're the biggest constituencies when, you know, diversity when it comes to gender and certainly when it comes to race, um, you know, some of the other uh, measures of diversity are harder to see. You know, if somebody's not self-identifying um, as LGBTQ, um, you're, you may not know um, if somebody doesn't tell you that they're a veteran, you know, there's so it's a little bit harder um, for some of those other elements, which is why, you know, um, companies tend to focus most uh, on the things that that you can see. It's interesting because neurodiversity is really becoming a big, uh, a, a big focus. Um, companies looking to put programs in place to hire autistic people. Um, people with Asperger's um, to get that that um, you know sort of very focused thinking um, into their workplaces. So yes, it's it's definitely broader than just gender and uh, and race. I was at uh, I was in Chicago recently and spent some time with Maria Ferrante Shepes, and she's a very good friend of mine for Maddox Douglas. She's the president of Maddox Douglas now. Mike Maddox and Wes Douglas, they're all really good friends of mine, and um, Maria has a son who is an adult with Asperger's. I have a daughter who's an adult with Asperger's. And to your point, they are usually very hyper-focused individuals on certain tasks and thoughts and patterns of things. And my daughter at the job that she is, she does really well because they've given her something that she does well, she can do it uh, over and over again. And, and Maria described it as this, she says, so many people look at that as a deficit, as that, that the, somehow Asperger's is a deficit or it's different than everybody else. When it, she and I both have talked about it could be an evolution of what we're seeing right now, how people learn differently. Um, maybe it's not really a deficit, but just people are evolving differently. And it goes back to the diversity point because that is how we have to look at each person as an individual and not keep lumping people into these. And, and so I love the fact that you, you talk about that diversity of thought. That's when you said that, I was like, oh, that really hit me well, because that's exactly how I describe it with my daughter, is that she just has different thought patterns. Not, she's not different. She's got a heart that beats and blood that runs through her veins, and she wants to be accepted and everything else. She just has different patterns of how her, her, think, her thinking works. So I love the way you phrase that. Yeah, difference is good. I mean, we have this preconception that dif different means bad. And that's not really, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about yeah. leveraging differences for success and innovation and competitive advantage and sustainability. That's what, you know, DEI is, is all about. 
Yeah. And I'll tell you too, as a speaker, when I stand on stage um, and I get to look out and there's not a lot of diversity in financial services, there's just not. <laughs> and I'm working on that as we all know. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you something that uh, what I find really intriguing is when you go back and look at speaker cards or an, an event overall, the surveys, one of the challenges that I place on event coordinators or people who are sponsoring if you get back and it says, oh, well, this is kind of the same conference or the speaking or the things weren't that great, I want you to really look at the dynamic of the group of people that are in the audience and the people that are up on stage. If you don't have diversity between them, you're going to get the same old, same old. So the marks are accurate in the sense that everything felt the same. It's because you didn't diversify anything. And the ones that I hear are amazing conferences is when I look out and there is a sea of different bodies and people and thoughts and backgrounds and colors and shapes and sizes. And those are the ones you go home and you go, I learned so much. <laughs> and it's so easy to identify that when you take a step back, but when you're in it, I guess it's, it's not as easy when you have that same old conference. Experience. Well, right. Because, you know, hopefully those people are giving different opinions and different thoughts and different perspectives on whatever the topic is. Maybe they come from different areas, you know, in financial services. So they're focusing on, on different things. I mean, that's what, um, you know, is going to make interesting conversation and hopefully they don't agree with each other when they're having these conversations. I mean, that's really what you're talking about when you're looking at leadership teams and you're looking at, you know, working teams that, you know, groups of people that are working together collaboratively. You don't want everybody to have the same ideas. Yeah. You don't want everybody, you know, it's the concept of groupthink, which is, you know, the antithesis of diversity of thought, right? I, I think of it as the sheep, all the sheep following off the cliff. You don't want people doing that. You want that dissent. You know, diversity breeds dissent and dissent is what creates better uh, functioning organizations. I love that. And so one of the things that I know that you address in your work is change because change is hard. And how do we get past our unconscious bias? I mean, really get past it because we're all, we just have it. It's never going to go away, but we have to learn how to exercise that muscle so that we create more dynamic organizations of the future. What are your thoughts around that? So, I mean, you know, unconscious bias is like uh, the huge, you know, the elephant in the room. It's a humongous, humongous, literally the elephant, a humongous topic, really, really complex. Um, and I do unconscious bias training, you know, with companies um, all the time because bias is really um, what causes us to not have inclusive, trusting, safe workplaces. That's really the, the obstacle. So it becomes a very important component to having conversations about diversity and inclusion because bias, you know, is filtered into all of everything we do, all of our employee life cycle processes, you know, interviewing, um, you know, evaluation, promotion, compensation, it filters into everything um, that we do. So yes, what you just said is right. We, and I tell my, you know, my clients this, we all have bias. We all have bias. So start with the premise and sort of take out the value-laden component, you know, that bias is bad and only bad people have bias and it's such a horrible thing to say, I have bias. We all have bias. I have bias. You have bias. Everybody listening here has bias. That is how we are wired. It is how we take in information because we have so much information coming at us. We wouldn't be able uh, to function if we didn't have a framework or a construct, you know, a series of assumptions that we apply, which is bias. 
Um, so really what we need to do is to sort of slow down. Um, we talk about the lower level brain, the higher level brain, system one brain, system two brain. You know, system one is that very lower level reptilian brain. That's what kicks in when your bias you know, takes over. And that always is going to kick in first. You're going to make that immediate assumption. Um, in seconds, we do it all the time, every day, you know, hundreds of times a day. The key is to sort of stop, drop, and roll, right? To sort of say, wait a minute, um, let my higher level thinking take over. Um, let me take a breath and think about what is the impact of what I'm about to say or do on the person I'm interacting with. So it's really slowing down a little bit and letting that system two brain kick in, that more analytical, logical brain. And remembering that bias is not about intent, it is about impact. Um, so, of course, it's unconscious, unless you're maliciously doing something, which I hope nobody listening to this is, um, you're not doing it on purpose. You don't intend to say something that's going to have a biased impact on somebody, but it happens all the time. So one of the first things we talk about is about practicing how to sort of slow down, recognize that system one's jumped in, recognize you've made a biased, you know, bias has taken over in how you've assessed something and then step back before you do anything um, and think about the impact that you are about to have um, on the person you're interacting with. So it's recognizing you know, that we have a bias, it's, it's realigning your perspective to that of the other person and thinking, hey, how is this going to impact them? And then revising what you're about to do or say if, um, if what, is, what you're putting forth out there is not what you intend. You know, I was uh, at a, I was at the, uh, Jackie Morales had invited me to come and speak at the, uh, what is it, the insurance, the women in, women in insurance leadership conference. And they had a breakout session. It was called Unconscious Bias. And I kind of wandered in there because I had not actually seen a breakout that was just so, <laughs> so blatantly labeled Unconscious Bias training. Right. So I walked in and pretty full room and three women on stage. And the one woman says, from one of the larger banks and she says would you please raise your hand if you have an unconscious bias and she said it so nice and there were like three or four hands going to air and she's so cute <laughs> then she goes i'm sorry I, I wasn't clear could you please raise your hand if you have an unconscious bias and everybody kept looking around and maybe a few more hands and she says okay i'm still not getting so let me Everybody, please raise your hand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I sat right down because it really did just like, she gets it. I mean, that's it. That's exactly it. And it was a, a, a wildly successful session because there was a lot of interaction and we got to hear from a lot of different viewpoints. And so I know that one area that I've had to navigate in my work with the women in uh, females in finance is the occasional man will say my work with women isn't inclusive it's being exclusive of the men and although we both know that save the whales doesn't mean kill the or you know save the dolphin doesn't mean kill the whales I right guess. right it's the easiest way for people to all understand we're in an ocean and just because i'm focused on this doesn't mean i don't want all the other life forms to also do well and succeed i'm just here what do you find is the best way or best thing to say when people think diversity and inclusion means you're excluding others because I, 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 can, I can kind of see what their point is because I'm focused here. I'm focused on cha making a change in this space. But that doesn't mean that those who don't fall into this space that I want you to not do well. I want everybody to do well. Right. Well, I think that, um, 
you know, all of these groups that are, you know, women's groups and, you know, ERGs, employee resource groups, the companies that are focused on specific, you know, diversity demographics, um, you know, I, I think what they're meant to do is to first build on commonalities. I think once you are able to feel comfortable in sharing and being authentic with people that you feel comfortable with, where you're building on that commonality, you know, the next step is then to um, uh, be able to go out, you know, into the larger world, you know, and, and leverage differences. I mean, when I started, um, I started with the, you know, Turnaround Management Association. I started a women's networking group. Uh, in the Philadelphia chapter, I mean, we're probably talking 18 years ago at this point, before all of this was sort of in vogue. And, and, and you know, it was a women's networking group that I created because um, the organization um, was, and, and quite frankly, still is very, very male-dominated, people in the restructuring um, industry. And I wanted women to come out and to be able to have, you know, sort of a safe space where they could meet. They could build relationships. They could feel comfortable with each other so that when they were going out into the larger chapter events that were predominantly men, they felt more comfortable. They had a friend. They saw someone they knew and that they were then able to go out into the world and sort of be able to leverage differences because they felt comfortable building those commonalities. So that's what I think of. Um, when I think of groups like females in finance and and all the other you know groups that's you know are specific to certain you know diverse demographics, it's about building on those commonalities so that you can then build on commonalities and leverage differences outside of your group. And and I think you're right. I mean, this is not uh, you know it's not like women are going to make you know change by themselves in in the workplace culture. Um, this is something that everybody needs to be um, to be a part of. Um, and I do think that, you know, women sort of sitting around having conversations about, you know, what to do or it's not good or how do we change culture, you know, it, that has limited utility. I think the, the bigger push or what you really get from women's groups is that sort of that, that feeling of camaraderie, um, women sharing ways that they've navigated the world, tips on things that they've done, you know, how women in, you know, themselves as individuals can help propel their careers forward. But when we're talking about, you know, systemic culture change and how all of this works, you know, we everybody has to be part of the conversation because look, you know, like it or not, men are still in positions of power. Men still have the ability to help, you know, push women forward if we're talking about gender. Um, certainly, you know, other forms of diversity. So, you know, we need allies, everybody needs help. And this is a global conversation. Um, so I think that people need to recognize what women's groups and, and groups, you know, ERGs, as I said, in your organization, what they can do. Um, but then it needs to go to the next level. 100% agree with all of that. It's one of the things that when I started Females and Finance was, I knew that there were a lot of wonderful men out there who wanted to see women do well, wanted to bring feminine energy into their practices, wanted to know what they could do to be better. And to that point, it was one of the reasons why very early on, I identified what I, we called the man project, which is the male ally network and invited those men. They vetted themselves and came to me and said, I really do want to be a part of this. 
And so real change is, you know, you're always a big proponent of happens when we take a majority of those and convert their concern into help, into change. How do we grow? How do we use what you, you know, not to take away your at a boy, but how do we get more of our at a girls? And the men that I have worked with have been wonderful. They have come up in droves and said, I'm here to help. What can I do? I'm a male ally. I want to see you do well. What can I do? So I love the fact that you talk about that a lot because I think that is where the real change, at least specific to financial services. And I will say too that most financial service organizations now have strategies in place to promote diversity and inclusiveness. But the reality for many of the women and the people from other underrepresented groups may not reflect that publicly stated mission of the employer. Like they're not feeling the change. So this is becomes where we have organizations doing box checking activity, like, oh, let's make sure we do that check and not really working with individuals such as yourself that, that where you come in and you say, let's, let's really look at what you've got here. Because when you get into what I call the subculture, uh, when you actually work with the employees and get down into the weeds with what they're saying, they're like, yeah, I work in a great place. And when you actually talk to them, they're like, but it doesn't feel any different. And nothing's different. Nothing's changed. I mean, I know we have all that going on, but it hasn't trickled down to us. Yeah. So a couple of things to that. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of throwing stuff up against the wall and sort of seeing if it sticks. A lot of inconsistency and not a lot of strategy. Um, you know, you can look on, you know, websites of financial services companies, you can look on websites of, of you know, companies across industry lines. And if you look at what they're saying about their diversity and inclusion initiatives, you think, oh my God, you like, they're setting the world on fire. This is amazing. But if that was actually true, <laughs> you know, the world would look very different. The numbers would look very different. The data would look very different. So a lot of, um, again, sort of a scattergun approach. Oh, we'll do a, an event here. We'll do an unconscious bias training here. We'll do that doesn't move the needle. That is not strategy. So when we go into an organization, um, exactly like what you're saying, we start with an audit and an assessment. We are looking at, you know, interviews and surveys, really doing a deep dive under the hood. What is going on here? What is the culture? What are people saying? What are people's perspectives? What do people see as obstacles? You know, sort of a very holistic approach. And what that allows you to do is actually drill down on what specific issues that organization is having. So we have clients come to us all the time and say, oh, we're having trouble attracting you know, women, we're having trouble, you know, attracting people of color, whatever their issues are. And we think it's da, 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 da. well, you don't know. And until you actually get in there and talk to people and find out what's going on, you could be solving for a problem that's not a problem or missing an issue that you never even thought of. So it really gives you a targeted uh, approach to figure out what is the exact issue. And then from there, we create strategic business plans. Just like you would create a business plan for any other initiative in a company, we create short and long-term strategic business plans for diversity and inclusion. Company, you know, we talk to the company about how they want to prioritize, where they want to start, and these are, again, over time. This is, you know, you talk about change. We always say you can't turn the Titanic around in a day. It, it takes a very long time. Um, so we put these um, uh, strategic plans in place. We put a myriad of um, implementable solutions in place. You know, everybody relies on training. Training is one 
you know, vertical of solution. There are other solutions that can be put into place that are, you know, and that should be put into place that are effective. And then we constantly are measuring. How is what we're doing benchmarked and measured and metriced against the, um, the goals and the objectives, the measurable goals and objectives that we set out in the, in the strategic plan? How, how is that working? What needs to be tweaked? What's working well? Um, because otherwise, you can't see where you were and where you're going and where you've gotten to if you're not doing any data measurement. So that's how change happens. Yeah, that's how change happens. That emotional intelligence thing. It just becomes a higher EQ or however they define that. I forget. But it's when you start looking at the emotional part of it and being much more connected to each individual employee versus the groups of people, right? And I love that you, you one, that you just admit that this is not a fix it. You're not a one and done. It's not like you walk in and bam, everybody all of a sudden is very aware of everybody else. <laughs> right. Um, not realistic. I mean, it's just, it's not. And so there's work and it's hard and it's changed. Yes. Yes, it is. It, it is work and it is hard and it takes time and it has to be integrative and comprehensive. It's got to eventually become sort of part of everything you do. It's, it's how you're, you know, interacting with your talent. It's how you're interacting with clients uh, and customers. It's how you're interacting with the community and, and, you know, your suppliers and your investors. It becomes a, a very holistic um, approach if you're doing it right, you know, eventually. We, um, I worked at a, a firm one time, a very large insurance brokerage office, and they had an HR director who I'll never forget. She was, I thought it was the weirdest thing when I saw her do it, but then later on, my mouth literally fell open, and that was she was going up and down every aisle and looking, and she was stopping and looking around the corners. I thought, what is she doing? You know, I thought, and of course, it's HR, so everybody's like a little bit like, ah, <laughs> you know that what she was doing was she was walking around and looking about how much space we had that if somebody had a wheelchair could they navigate these hmm. i remembered my my jaw i felt like it hit the floor because here i was so worried about me and everybody like anybody else normal feeling right but in fact what she was doing was making sure that our office was wheelchair friendly um, we had an employee that needed uh, to have one for several months and was going to be coming around the office in it. And she wanted to, before that person came back, have the office ready so that that was not in their way. Right. I remember having so much respect for that because that is the kind of diversity and inclusion initiative didn't even cross my mind. I'm not even going to lie to anybody. I mean, right. it didn't cross my mind. And that's the kind of stuff that I know that you talk about. It's just, it's crazy think that how would I expect this person to get around otherwise right right and you don't want them to not be able to get to a meeting or to be part of a you know pizza party or whatever's going on at the office because they can't navigate sort of the, the terrain of the office because they're in a wheelchair yeah I mean these are things these are real things yeah, yeah. so what is one thing a person could do today to and I love actionable education I'm really a big believer in you know, do this one thing or walk away with this one activity to move the ball forward on diversity and inclusion specific to, uh, I, I'm not going to say an area of work, but an individual. What is your advice that, you know, if somebody came up to you on an elevator and said, well, what can I do today to be better aware? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing is to get out of your comfort zone. 
you know, if there is a person or a group of people, you know, where you work that you don't feel comfortable with or that you don't know or that you're maybe a little, you know, afraid of um, because you don't know, um, make an effort to, to meet those people. Make an effort to start engaging in a conversation. You know, get out of that, um, you know, comfort zone that we all sit in where we're, you know, at our desks and we always talk and engage with the same people. You know, make a conscious effort, you know, to meet somebody um, that you haven't met and that maybe, you know, is from a completely different background that you, you know, may not feel comfortable with. I was, I did an unconscious bias session um, yesterday, two days ago, um, and um, that we were talking about, um, I, I show pictures um, as part of an exercise, and people have to write down, you know, their thoughts, um, you know, when they see these pictures come up. And one of the pictures is of a Muslim woman um, in a hijab, and all you can see are her eyes. Everything else is covered. And somebody was expressing their sort of discomfort and their fear um, because they didn't know anybody, uh, you know, who was Muslim, and they couldn't really see who this woman was, and it all created a sort of unease and distress for this person, which was, you know, perfectly, um, you know, understandable coming from where she was coming from. So, you know, in those kinds of situations, reach out. If that person is in your workplace with you and you've avoided her because you're scared or uneasy um, or somebody's different, um, make an effort to, to overcome that and get to know that person as a person. I really love that. I will tell you that one thing that I found to be helpful was I read a book about the Disney Institute, which a lot of people they may or may not, I don't know, know that, that, that Disney World and Disneyland and all of them, they have a Disney Institute. They put you through sort of an education to be aware of everyone. And one of the things that are the exercises in it, and I've used it so many times, is Everybody goes to a meeting, they almost always sit in the same spot. It's just right. a comfort thing, right? And you talked about getting outside of that. And so what they do is they walk in, they tell everybody, get up and move, sit by somebody you haven't sat by again. So you kind of have to look around, and I don't know you, and they sit down. It's called listening at a different perspective. And what happens is your ears and your skin and your eyes are hyper aware of everybody around you because it's new, it's different. And you hear and you learn new things because of that. It puts you on a different, uh, and I love that as an exercise. I love what you just said because those are real things that you can take away and do very differently t today, right now. Hang up after this podcast and go do it, and it'll work. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So I love to wrap up interviews in a fun way. I like to ask my guests three questions, and you don't get to know what they are, but I have to answer them too, so you're not alone. It helps <laughs> us get to know Robin, the person, a lot uh -oh. better. Are you, ready? are you ready? I think I'm holding on. You are. You got this. So what sport or hobby is just too dangerous for you to even consider doing? What is wow. Never do? Um that I had that I've never done or I wouldn't do now you would <laughs> it could be either because I would probably say that for me um skiing because okay. yeah I, I have skied but I um blew out my knee not skiing doing something else so and so I'm not like a would be like yeah, I'm not a huge, I was never a huge, like, lover of skiing, so I probably would never do it now because I'd be afraid of my knee and that, and I don't love it enough to take the risk. 
um, and, and have something, God forbid, happen. And then I end up not being able to do the things I do enjoy. So I would say skiing. My significant other, Daryl, is a physical therapist, and he would say, that's right, don't do that. <laughs> he wouldn't like half the other things I do. <laughs> no, I'm safe now, but I'm a gym rat, so that, you know, <laughs> I don't want to give that up. So I'm not sure. I sat down and thought, would it be skydiving or deep sea diving? Oh. <laughs> I know, and, and Daryl is a scuba diver. He goes, oh, wow. down, oh I, could, I know. I don't think yeah. I can do it. I really don't. I think I'd hyperventilate, but yeah, I, I think I couldn't do that one either. I know at least with the, I figure that the hardest part is letting go on uh, skydiving. So I figure Whoa. once you're out, <laughs> all right. but uh, not what you can do at that point. Ooh, yeah. reverse gravity. Right. How about this? What's your favorite candy? Favorite candy. Hmm. Wow. That's a tough one. I have a lot of favorite candies. I have a sweet tooth. Do um, you? Yeah, I do. I would say um, I like Skittles and Twizzlers, like those kinds of okay, things. The fruity one. Okay. Yeah, more into that than chocolate. Got it. So, oh, in our house, if I don't come home with a bag of Take Fives. Oh, wow. That's like a random one. <laughs> I know. He's, he'll be like, and go back to the store. <laughs> that's very random. I also like Twix. So that's my chocolate. Yeah. yeah. And that I'm would be, a big that Twix would be a close fan. second for him too, because he would be like, he likes to take chocolate every day in his lunch. So I, we buy, I'm not a big chocolate person. I'm like you. I'm kind of like, yeah. bring, on the, bring on the jelly beans. Bring on Yeah, the definitely. I love like coconut jelly beans. Those kinds of things when you go into like Whole Foods, I always, you know, oh, gosh, <laughs> get a little, a little thing of them. And how about this? What's maybe the coolest thing that you have in your purse or your work bag or your whatever? Oh, what is like, somebody looking to go, I wish I had one of those. Huh. Wow, that's a tough one. Let me hear yours first because okay. I don't know what so mine is. I have this wall. So you know how you go to charge your phone, especially at the, the, at the airport or something? You don't want to put your phone on the ground. Right. You know, people, if you're putting your phone on the ground at the airport, don't do it. I see what people do there. Don't. And so I have this little wall holder. So you put it, it goes over my wall charger that goes into the wall. And, mm. on it, and my phone is a cradle for it. Okay. Every time somebody sees me do that when I'm traveling, they're like, that is the coolest thing. I used to carry extra ones and then hand them out. Like, here's one. They're like, oh, they thought it was the greatest thing ever. You got to get your logo on them. I would say I not so much in my purse, but I would say in our house. Let me answer okay. that. Because my purse, I'm not a big purse person. Yeah. But in my house, we have, um, like, you know, when you go to 7-Eleven or Wawa and they have the cappuccino machine and, like, the hot chocolate machine and you put your cup under and then you fill the rest with coffee. We yeah. have one of those in our house, <gasps> like a two, like a, a dual I one. Got, so I one chills. Yes. I'll <laughs> send you a picture. One side is hot chocolate and the other side is French vanilla cappuccino. And so you put your cup under, you fill up whatever, and then you can add coffee or, you know, the kids drink the hot chocolate. So that's a cool thing in my house. It will not fit in my purse, but People, it's a big fan. That is, okay, that is pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool in the house, definitely. And I'm going to say this to anybody who's listening and doesn't know what Wawa is, you're missing out in your life. I live in Missouri. We do not have Wawa. But when I travel, I'm going to tell you, Wawa will fix any, yes. any problem you have. Right, and Wawa. So Wawa's like a Sheets or a 7-Eleven or a, what else? It's got so much more in it. Yes, it does. I, I, so the closest thing that we have here in Missouri would be Quick Trip. Okay. Literally every corner has a quick trip on it, right? Yeah. And you can go in there and get 
uh, a hot dog or a hamburger made coffee. Yeah, Wawa's big here. Wawa's yeah, big. I know. I've been to I've been in your your hood before, yep. and I love me some Wawa. When people say that, I'm like, oh, that's the closest thing I get to Quick Trip when I'm out. Absolutely, but Wawa's better. <laughs> so that's say. what I would say. Our little, our our mini <laughs> Wawa in the house. That's it, your mini Wawa. So we will be sure to have links to all of the ways to reach you because I really want those listening to invite you to speak at their events on this topic. Robin, you're just a true amazing resource on this particular area of diversity and inclusion. And I'm grateful that you spent time with us today. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed our conversation and hopefully, um, you know, it's helpful to your, to your listeners. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. And listeners, thank you for listening to today's episode of The F Word. You can learn more about today's guest and the topics we covered in the show notes. And if you love today's podcast, because we know that you did, Please be sure to subscribe and don't keep us a secret. Just make sure you tag hashtag females and finance in your post so we can engage with you as well. And remember the F word. It's where females and finance are not dirty words. Thank you for listening, everyone.